Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Room Podcast. I'm Augustine, your host. If you view my Instagram stories, then you know that I am not a fan of the women need to submit rhetoric that some men are spewing all over social media. I think that all of this talk really boils down to these men wanting to control women. And I also think that this need for control can easily turn to violence. So I wanted to do a show that focuses on what violence against women looks like and how can women empower themselves to leave their abusers. Today, I'm joined by Lene. Lene is the host of So Opinionated, a story-driven personal narrative podcast that's available on Apple and YouTube. Lene is also a woman who has survived domestic violence, and she is here to share her story with us. Lene, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me in the happy room. Thank you for having me. Lene, I have several questions for you, as you know. Um, we talked before um, this show, and one of the questions I have for you is whether you think there is a danger in these women need to submit videos and memes. Is it dangerous, you think, or no? Uh, I feel like it it could be dangerous. Um, I mean, sometimes it just they want a woman to cook and clean and keep their mouth shut. And if, if they're just saying that, even if that's what they believe, but they have no ill intentions. I don't know if that's dangerous. I mean, I specifically wouldn't want that, but danger, no. But it also can come from men who have abusive natures where they want a woman that they can get physical with, can get verbal with, can put down, belittle behind closed doors. So I guess overall, yes, it can be dangerous if it's coming from someone who has ill intentions and is looking for a woman who won't let another person know. And I, I, obviously there are, there are men that are using that just so they can do those things. What are the red flags that women need to, to look out for? For me, the, the red flags that I saw were, for example, when I talked about, you know, the, the first encounter with the, the man who, who, would, who would be my, the father of my child and be my boyfriend for five years. I mean, the very first date where he questioned a childhood friend talking to me, that is obviously a sign. Um, that was not a norm for for an abuser to be so quick it doesn't mean that they can't be there they are out there obviously I met one but a lot of abusers do not start that quick because that would have been the last date right like I'm I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are probably very confused on how that first date went to five years so a lot of them wouldn't do that a lot of them would wait at least a month maybe even two before they start showing you their other side so you just kind of have to look for little things before it becomes a big thing it could be something as simple as what you're wearing you know if they're trying to dictate your clothes that's a sign if he's calling you he's constantly asking you you know where you are you know i'm at work what do you mean where am i were you still there what where else would I be? Say I'm going out tonight. I'll call you when, when you know, when I get home or see you when I get home. And every five seconds on, on my little outing with my girlfriends, you calling me. Where are you at now? Where you, what you, where are you guys doing now? Why are you, you know, little things like that. There's so many. And I feel like we'll know them. We'll just ignore them. Not everybody. Um, but yes, we, they're very obvious to me. They're not something that you have to question and be like, mm, I wonder if your gut say it is true. Nine times out of 10, your gut is correct. And it is something that's going to get worse down the line. 
what was the nature of the abuse that you suffered and how did it start? Both physical and verbal. It was more physical. I don't even know if I considered it a relationship yet, but about a month in where the first encounter was me getting punched in the face. And then after that, it was mainly places where it could be hidden. So I was punched stomach, chest, kicked in my legs. And um, while pregnant, um, I was kicked down the flight of stairs. I was actually kicked in the stomach while pregnant. Um, He actually purposely put a pair of Tim's on and stepped on my face with the Tim's. Like it was, I've I've been, he's been, I've been spit in the face. Everything that an abuser can do, um, unfortunately has happened, um, roped around my neck. It just, um, it was a lot. It was the cockiness for me that used to piss me off that you could beat me up and then lay next to me and sleep. There was no fear of of me doing anything while you laid there sleep. So I started sleeping with a knife and I thought to myself, was I willing to take another person's life? I really wasn't. I, I think I would have had to, to be honest, because he wasn't physically doing anything in that moment, right? So I know in my mind, I couldn't do it because there was nothing going on. That's just not not who I am. And and I, I literally kept thinking of ways I was like, I could get out of this. Because for a long time, I felt like the only way out was me dying or him dying. I just didn't see myself leaving. So I said, one of us got to go. That's really, when I started sleeping with the night, that's what was my mentality. Somebody got to go. And um, I guess we're going to see who it is. Uh, You know, that's just kind of where I was at. So like the last two, maybe year and a half before I left, that's kind of where my mind was at. Because abuse had gotten so bad too. Like I said, he just didn't care anymore about who knew, everybody knew, everybody, my mom, my best friends, were co-workers, um, it just didn't matter anymore. Coming up, Lene details her relationship with her abuser and tells us how she finally brought the abuse to an end. So I meet him on the ferry, he came to me, he was talking to me, um, you know, asking me, you know, where am I going and all this other stuff. And we end up having a really good conversation and he, it gives me his um, cell phone number. It, the crazy thing is there's a, a red flag on the very first date. Um, we go to the movies and while I'm waiting for him, one of my ROTC brothers happens to be on 42nd Street and he sees me and we're having a whole conversation because no one has seen me. Some people don't even know I had a baby. And then he walks over and then I introduced him. I'm like, oh, this is so-and-so. We were in ROTC together. And I'm like, oh, this is my date. And he doesn't say anything. He kind of just stands there. And he was like, so y'all done talking? And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, well, you know, we we weren't done. You came in the middle of the conversation, but we're we're talking. And he was like, all right, well, I'm here now. He was like, you could go where you're going. And he said it to him, like, this is a whole grown man that you're talking to. And it's like, are you that bold? It's like, for me, this was so different. I was just like, this is this is this is odd, right? Like I knew. I knew it wasn't a good interaction, but I also didn't understand the interaction. I just was so confused because at this point I'm only 19. And I said to him, I was like, you know, what, what kind of interaction is that? Like, you know, he was like, you're not about to be out here, you know, 
flirting. I'm flirting. I'm I'm flirting. I know him. I I know who he is. He was like, we ain't doing that. I'm I I'm a little cringe just hearing <laughs> that story, as you know, this is the first date that you're having, and so I'm wondering what was your sense when he did that? Like, what what was the feeling that you received during that interaction? I felt super uncomfortable. It, it has, it had never, I have never been in that. I feel like a 25 year old or someone even older might think maybe he's an abuser or he's controlling, or I don't know. I don't know if it had to you do with the get a sense of that at all during that moment. No, I didn't. I didn't equate it to, I didn't see that. I didn't put them together. I think I was just like, what's going on, but I didn't put it with a negative because I didn't have that. I didn't know what to compare. Like I didn't have something that said, Oh, this is this. I just was like, this is not nice, you know, but, and I said something to him. It's not like I was quiet. I said to him, like that interaction didn't make any sense. It doesn't, I don't understand why you felt the need. I said, and I tell him it was embarrassing. And he was like, it's not embarrassing. Like you're out here waiting for me. You're on 42nd street by yourself. You're standing here. I, you know, I, I had like a nice little, like a skirt, but it was winter. So I had like the skirt with the, with the thick tights and whatever. And and so he's like, you're just standing here. You just talking to some guy. I, I, I mean, in that moment, he, his aggression went a little down. Once he talked to me, he still kind of said I'm wrong, but it, he wasn't as aggressive with me as he was with when he was talking to him. He kind of calmed it, but still kind of said, no, I'm right. You're wrong. And, and I think I just, I let it go. No, I think I did. I let it, I let it go. Was he abusive during, because this is your first date with him, right? But you end up being with him for much longer and he fathers your second child. Did you end up marrying him? No, I did not marry him. And yes, he was abusive the entire time. And the, the first time he hit me was about a month later. So it was very early on. Um, and I ended up staying with him for a full five years, but I didn't have my daughter until three, like she's three years younger. So she wasn't around for the first two years of that relationship. Um, I want to go back to what something you just said, Lene. Um, so the first, the first time that you guys are on a date, there's this aggression there towards another man and the fact that you should know not to do whatever because you're supposed to be here for me. A month into the relationship, which is very short, just four weeks, right? You mm -hmm. barely know him. He barely knows you. He hits you. What? I, I'm floored by that. And I'm wondering, you know, what took place in that moment when when he becomes physically violent with you, like what happened in the weeks preceding that? And then what was that event? Like what, or at the moment, what was happening when that occurred? Yeah, so after that, 100%, I did not expect the hit. Definitely didn't expect there to be any physical. So after that incident, there really wasn't 
there wasn't anything, any red flags that I can tell you about. The first one was that date. And then after that, I did not see any red flags, but also the, it could have been the timing because like I said, I was working, I was traveling back and forth from borough to borough. That's a lot. If you're from New York, then you will understand what I'm saying. And then I had a daughter, so I didn't have a lot of time. So we didn't see each other too much but i had to make the time for the for us to see each other the actual time the the time that he hits me we went out and i went back to his place he lived with his cousin him and his cousin shared an apartment and we were there the cousin was there a few friends were there um and we were all just talking and whatever whatever we were talking about i said something about him. Maybe we were like, let's just say, for example, I, I say they're like, oh, you know, oh, my man snore, you know, and maybe I would have said, oh, yeah, he snore or he sounds like a hog, whatever. I don't remember the, the actual thing that I said that, but whatever I said, we all laughed about. And he laughed as well. I go to the bathroom. I go into the bathroom and then he knocks at it because the door was locked and he's like, let me in. So I open, you know, I'm done using the bathroom. I was washing my hands and I open the door and I let him in and he closes the door and he tells me to never fucking embarrass him again. So, of course, now I don't know what he's talking about. Don't ever do that. Don't say something where people are laughing or whatever. And I'm just like, what? it was a joke. Like, we're all talking. And he's like, and so, and the thing is, there's no fear. I have never felt any fear towards men. So I'm very, I'm standing there, you know, he's in my, he's taller than me. He's in my face though, but I don't, I'm not fearful of him at all. So I'm, I'm having this, I'm at the same level he at, okay? Are you coming at me? I'm, I'm coming right back. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I didn't do anything. We're all laughing. This is a joke. And this is, and this is your family. Like, your cousin is here. His friends are here. Like, these are people that know you. So I'm very confused about your embarrassment. And, and then he put his finger in my face. And he was like, I'm not going to tell you again. And I remember, I'm not, I'm not in any fear. So I moved his hand. And I said, don't ever put your finger in my face. Like, do not talk to me in that manner. And right then and there, he punches me in the face. Just mm. like that. And I remember just being in complete shock. It was a complete punch to my face. And I was so confused. And I didn't understand why that just happened. And I want to say the side of my lip was bleeding, but I was crying. I didn't know that, but I was crying. And I, I was just like, what just happened? Like, what? And he grabbed something and threw it at me and said, clean yourself up before you step out of here. And then he just walked out. And I sat on the floor of the bathroom for a, for a minute. I sat on the floor of the bathroom and I just cried. I couldn't believe that that's what happened. And then I couldn't go home. So this would be the first time ever that I, that I didn't go home to my daughter and my grandmother. I end up staying there because of my Why face. Why couldn't you go home? Why couldn't you go home? I, because I, I w didn't want to tell my grandmother and my brother that, I, you know, I got punched in the face. I, I, I mean, I could have went home. Yes, I just didn't. If I would have went home, you know. You were afraid I, of the judgment. Right, not even the judge. Well, yeah, but also the, the what would they do? Like my 
no one would have let this go. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, oh no, something going down. And even years later, when it gets towards the end, when more people start finding out that I was being abused, it gets it gets a little crazy. You know, uncles get involved, people get involved. That's kind of part of it was judgment, but it really wasn't a hundred percent judgment. I definitely think I was more of what 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 was going to happen if I tell them this and then shame of course yeah I felt how did this happen so I stayed there but most of the night I cried and then that morning he says to me you know it's more insults he was like you cry more than my daughter he was like you know you're crying like get yourself together use a grown-up and I don't know that's just where it started and it never ended from there And it just escalates, you know, it was just punching or smacking for a long time. And then it went to objects. And there were plenty of times where I said, oh, this is going to be it. This is where I'm probably going to die. Or I would pray that I didn't wake up. It was five years of um, I don't know how I how I'm here or how I stayed here. Or it, It just the minute that happened, it just didn't it didn't stop. Help is available. Contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. You can speak with someone 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, in English, Spanish, and over 200 languages. I want to ask you about that escalation because, and I don't mean to just you know, for us to live in this moment. And I will ask you other questions later because I know that, you know, you move on from that. But what I I really want for people who are listening to understand how does something like this begin and how does it continue? Because one of the things you and I talked about um, before the show was about how people have a perception like it's never going to happen to them. It's never right. going to be there. Well, sister. I was one of those people. It's never, <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's the thing. And I'm going to, you know, rewind a little bit because I wonder when you get out of that bathroom, does anybody notice that his friends, his family, do they notice anything? Do they say anything? Like, do you get a sense that they know what just took place? Yeah. So something I find out later that I didn't know is that when I met him, he had he had just been out of being from incarcerated. He had done two years for the abuse of the mother of his first two children. I did not know, but he had only been out for like four or five months. Mm. I find it out later, but I'm already in. But yeah, so his family knows about it because that's what he did time for. And then when I got out of the bathroom, the guest had left, but his cousin was still there. And he didn't so much as say something to me, but he kind of was looking at me on some, I I hope to never see you again. Mind you, this is his cousin's apartment. It's not his. He's just staying with him because he had to stay with someone. You know, when you get out, he was on probation or whatever. His cousin was a, a you know, a, not a criminal. He had a good job. And so the cousin could have put him out. You know what I'm saying? The cousin, yeah. there's a lot that there's a lot the cousin could have done, but didn't do. And even years later, um, one of the very, very bad times that he had uh, beat me in and I showed up to his mom's and her, his mom said to me, like, why, why are you, when I was saying what he was doing, he, she was like, you know, that's my son. You know, you don't got to be with him. Nobody's forcing you. 
if you unhappy, if you don't like what he's doing, you don't got to be here. How did you empower yourself to leave your abuser? I wish I could say I empowered myself. I have to say it was God in the sense that he didn't take my family members' lives. Like my entire immediate family was in a really bad car accident. Um, my oldest daughter was injured and their lives were spared by God because if, um, if anybody was to see the car and see how damaged it was and then the fact that they both went through the windshield of the car, it's only God that they're alive. No one else is why they're here. And I just basically told God that I would leave him if he spared their lives. My daughter, she was going to be four. She was turning four in a month, four years of her life majority of it she saw abuse she saw marks on my face would point them out and say something I just I knew it wasn't okay but I didn't know how to leave and so basically I just made a promise I I said to God if you keep them here I'm I'm gonna leave I'm not I'm this will not be their story I understand that I have to believe in God in order because I do not believe if you just pray, it happens. I'm not a believer in that. I believe that you can pray to, for the strength to help you do something and God will help you as long as you're helping yourself. So I don't want to say that I didn't give myself any strength, but I had to believe that he spared them because I prayed that I would do something different. And I stuck to it. This higher power listened to me, my little prayer that day. Then how dare I not stick to what I said? It wasn't easy. It took uh, a couple of more hits and I ended up having to press charges. And what was his reaction when you finally, when he realized you were finally leaving and this was it for you? He abused me. There was, so there was no out for him, which is why it ended up with him being arrested and I had to press charges. He would have kept coming by. He would have kept showing up at my job. He would have kept hiding out in the stairwell. And of course, in those moments, that's when you get, please don't do this. And I love you. And, and how come you doing it this time? No, you going this time. I, I gave you a shot. You want to see your kid? We could work out some type of arrangement, but I'm out of this. He didn't believe it. His family didn't believe it. You know, I'm all kinds of bitches. You know, they see me in the street. Fuck you. You know, it's sad that when that's what you're used to, I guess you think it's okay. You know, even though I stayed, that's not what I was used to. I didn't have an in-home male beating on a woman's life. That's not the upbringing I had as far as a male, which is why I was so confused when it happened and why I don't know why I said it. Is counseling a necessary part of your healing or was it a necessary part? Yes, I did all of them. I went to therapy when I officially left uh, my daughter's father, the abuser. Um, and I chose it on my own because... I, once again, I didn't understand how I ended in that. I feel like everybody needs therapy, whether you have some type of trauma as a child or not. But obviously, if you do have some form of trauma, therapy is needed because we have to figure out our our inner demon. Like it's it's so crazy how I've talked myself out of so many things and just really question everything. Like, oh, am I doing this stuff? It's just, it's just constant insecurity. So I definitely feel like therapy is needed. I have done family therapy as well with my kids. They've done it with me. We've done it separate because a lot has still has happened. Though I left that relationship, I, I have an early bad marriage. 
um, that included verbal abuse for majority of it and ends in, in physical. It didn't happen the whole time. And then the, the end of it where it got physical is where I left. So I did. So that changed. I did not say that. I You hit me. That's it. It was done. It was over. There was we weren't going to discuss this. It, there was no turning back. But these are the traumas that my kids now have to deal with. And I put them in therapy because they were there for a lot of this. They still saw these things. And so, yeah, I'm a firm, I'm a firm believer in therapy. I'm like, go to it because I just feel like it's needed. I don't think we can work through our stuff, whether you're an addict, a victim, even if you are the abuser, it's work. It's very, very hard work. You also stated just now about You said you didn't know why you stayed in the relationship with your second daughter's father, your abuser. Do you think some of that stems from childhood? Well, yes. Um, It's me wanting to please and wanting because that's that was my whole childhood. You know, it was very rare for me to do anything that a kid might do, you know, like even talk back the handful of times that I might have with an adult might be considered talk back. But I don't because I feel like there's a difference between talking back and expressing that I'm not happy with something in this moment. And I feel like I should be able to tell you that without you getting crazy with me. The handful of times where I may have said something, even maybe had an attitude because I know you ain't listening to me the response was some form of smack or you know I still remember the first time my mom called me a bitch and I was like I wouldn't have been I was probably like 13 you know and it's like what it's just crazy so I just kept pleasing let me just behave so I didn't want to cause any more trouble. I didn't want to be the kid that added to the drama. So I feel like that's how I've been in relationships. Oh, you're unhappy? Let me fix you your dinner. Let me, you know, let me, what, what we got to do in the bedroom. What do I have to do to keep you happy? To keep you from taking it out on me? So, yes, I feel like I probably stayed because the fear, the fear of me standing up for myself, the fear of not, you know, of not being somebody. It, 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 I feel like it's a lot of things all coming from childhood. At the end of the day, it was really just me. I didn't have any confidence in myself. I, I've been afraid a lot of my life. I have the, a fear of not knowing the next step, not knowing what's going to happen if I make this decision. Is this a good decision? You know, you can't live life that way. Even my therapist now, like she gets so angry because she's so confused. She's like, I don't even know if you need therapy. You know that this is wrong. My brain doesn't click over to the other side that says, girl, just you good. Like, let it walk away. I'm just in the shadow and I can't seem to get out of it because that's where I was put. You know, she's good. So now I'm just here and I don't know how to get out of that. I don't know how to let that part go. You don't have to be in this shadow anymore. I'm not even fully out of it. It it doesn't seem like there's a way out. It's just there and it's a battle that I fight every day. So for you, it's something that really is going to be a lifelong process. Yeah, I feel like it's a lot because I I have still had uh, horrible relationships. Everything else in my life, I have done better with. I've upgraded every job I ever got after that first job, got my degree. You know, I remember getting my first apartment. I've always put my kids first. My kids literally don't know how I struggled to throw a birthday party. They had one. They've never gone without. And this was all just me. And of course, the help of my grandmother, dad's in help. Everything else has always been better. 
But relationship-wise, even friendship, I have still allowed people to stay around. And I have a bad habit quickly that my therapist says she doesn't like is that if you stop messing with me, it's easier. That and that's kind of where where I've where I've gotten to, which is not a healthy spot when it comes to friends or relationship. I want you to leave me because I know I'm not happy. I know you're not happy, you, but I can't leave. I I just can't stop being your friend. But I want you to stop being my friend, and I want you to stop dating me, which is not good. And I can't explain this brain of mine. I wonder for you if. Staying till the end until everything crashes and burns or until there is no other out. Is that about hope for you? Yeah, for sure. I do always hope. And I be and that's what I'm saying, because there are some days that are good. Every every day of those five years were not bad. After he'd beat me up and then he'd take me out, you know, to a movie, to dinner. And I would think, well, maybe this is the time that something's gonna change. But no, the truth is that's not gonna help. I know that you are currently going through your own journey to heal, but based on what you've said, do you have any advice for women who are in abusive relationships and who think that he doesn't hit me every single second of the day, so things are going to get better? What advice do you have for women? You got to leave. That is really the answer. I'm telling you to leave as if it's easy. It's not easy. And but come, it's not coming from somebody who's never been abused and telling you to leave. And I will never, I never understand women who say it can never be me. Do I believe that there are women who, if a man or a woman could um, get hit and they will, that would be it for them? Yes. But you don't know until you are hit, especially if this is a serious relationship. But majority of humanity knows this is wrong. It's not going to change. They're going to abuse you until the day you die or the day they die. It's either going to be you or him, you or her. That's what it's going to be because they're never going to stop abusing you. I don't see how you're going to stop being an abuser. You got to go. You just have to leave and you have to reach out to resources. You have to talk to somebody. You have to ask for help. Um, That's what we have to do. Is that what we're going to do? Is that what a lot of us are going to do? No, I didn't ask for help. I didn't even, I didn't reach out. You know, like I said, I left due to me thinking my daughter was going to die. That is not, that should not be the scenario to leave. That's just what happened to me. But I mean, let's be, let's be realistic. Do we all want our kids to possibly be dying in order to choose to leave somebody? No, the only option is out, is to pack that bag. Don't take everything, take whatever. I literally left a ton of stuff, pack it up. And go, and that's it. And don't look back. Don't answer those calls. Go through the courts for visitation. Don't be the person. You don't have to be the person to drop them off. I know I've been through it. You can even have it at a um, at a precinct, which I didn't know back then. These are all options. That's my advice. You got to leave. Keep up to date in between episodes and interact with other listeners. Follow The Happy Room on Instagram at The Real Happy Room. What can families do to support a family member who is being abused? Um, I feel like let them know that they can talk to you, do like interventions or threaten. The only person who did that for me, so my best friend who I've known since, since I was 10, 
she got to the point of being tired of seeing me beat up and then just making things up. And she was getting to the point where she wasn't going to be my friend anymore. My mom and my grandmother, they did not push because their fear of losing my girls. So did they basically let me know that they didn't like that I was being abused? Yes. They attempted what they thought they could to say something, but once I shut them down, they just kind of let it go. And so I don't want to, I don't want to blame the family, but maybe be a little bit more vocal, maybe be more like my best friend who was constantly saying something to the point where it's like, you know what, you can't live here no more now. Like, I don't know why, if I would have done if my grandmother would have said, if she had had the courage to say as much as I love my grandchild and as a great grands, I can't live in this house knowing you're getting beat up in this house too. You in here getting beat up, you know, maybe I would have done something. So I feel like you have to just try to make it be known this person matters. Like I said, I know that if I would have said something, something would have been done, but part of me was still also stuck in the shadow. I also wondered, would they do, you know, if I still had to question it, it's probably why I didn't say nothing because of look of all the years where you kept me in the shadow. So, you know, as long as people know that you're willing to help, willing to help and not just say you're going to help, you got to show them that we serious about you getting yourself together. I'm hearing you say that the family needs to be the backbone of this person, right? Like, because sometimes they may, you know, as you did, you might push the family members away. You don't want them to know and you question whether they care, but ultimately that they need to be there to, for support, even if they feel that they're being pushed away. Yes, yes. So to continue to continue the support as much as you can. So as long as you made it known, right? As long as you said, hey, you can have this room, whatever you did. If you did, if you did something that could actually help the person, whatever you feel, because I also don't want people to feel like, you know, they have to take the burden because that happens a lot of times too. It affects the, all of us, but as long as you tried, and like I said, not one, maybe two, a couple of times, but I don't want to dictate that for somebody. But don't tell me you tried, you told her six months ago that you she could stay with you. I need the continuous support. Hey, here it is in your face. And then, you know, at some point, yes, I feel like you have to say, I can't be your friend while this is going on. It hurts me to see you hurt. And hopefully it doesn't get to that. So it's important not to just say, I support you, but state the support and have a plan for that person to leave, right? So right. if I'm saying, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, Lene, I support you and I care about you, but then Lene is thinking, well, how do I leave this man? I have no money. I have no things. Mm -hmm. I have no place to stay, right? So right. it needs to be verbalized. You're saying, be very clear with these, this person that I don't want you to being abused. I know this is happening. And I support you, but also here is what we can do together. Exactly what you said. You have to have a plan because how many of these are stay at home moms or how are these are even moms that maybe they had a job when they first met in their 20s and now they 45 and they ain't worked since then. Or how many don't don't even have degrees? Like what, what do you want them? Where do you want them to go? And then and then you think shelters and things like that are better there are legitimate homeless people on the street right now who will tell you that they rather sleep on the street than be in a homeless shelter. So it's like, don't come to me and tell me that you, that you want me to leave. Okay. Well, where I'm going, what you, you got a dollar. 
that's how I have to think when you're telling somebody who's being abused, oh, just leave. Okay, but leave, where do you want me to go? Where do you want, where, where am I supposed to get money? Or even if I'm a working mom, what if my money, my bank account is linked to this man? By the age of 21, I had two children, two different fathers. And at that time, I still only had a high school diploma with like, maybe six college credits like I want you to tell me where did you think I was gonna go where and and no job I had somewhere to go he wasn't living with me but I'm just thinking of the women who do they do live with this man and then if I have a kid or kids are you giving us a pillow you gotta have a plan you have to have a plan Domestic violence victims can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline through text. Text the word START to the number 88788. You can also connect with the hotline at thehotline.org 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for confidential support. You told me before that you visited schools to talk to young people about abuse and domestic violence. Why was that work or is that work so important to you? It's important because I feel like whatever you allow as an adult, a lot of the things, a lot of the relationship stuff that start early once we really start dating, I feel like stems from childhood. And I and I think that that's been proven. I don't think you have to have a PhD, but they'll tell you that, you know, relationships with your father, relationship with your mother, things like that, that can all play a role in what happens later. So I feel like it's important to start having these conversations with adolescent girls early. I know some parents, you know, and that's the thing of not wanting your kids to know something, but as early as like 10, I feel like 10, 11, 12, those ages, we can really have a discussion, you know, with the little boy that hits you. We're always taught that if the boy hits you in the playground or pulls your hand in the playground, that he likes you. So why is that the association that we have to have at eight years old? Any type of physical, hurtful means that they like you. And that's what we're literally told. Then what's the difference 10 years later when she's 18 and, you know, in college and her and her boyfriend have a disagreement or something and he punches her in the face? Why why is it that we expect her at 18 to know that punching her in the face is wrong when she's eight? It's okay. Like, I just don't, I'm very confused on how we're supposed to expect us as women to differentiate that if you pulled my hair and I thought that hurt but you like me why don't I think that you like me when you punch me in the face if you apologize and tell me that you didn't mean it talking to young girls at that age letting them know it is not okay and also not only is it not okay but it's okay to say something do not wait keep telling an adult until you get to that one adult that says okay we're gonna have a talk with Joseph Okay, Joseph, that's not right. Like, I, you know, I don't care what society says. I'm saying you don't like me, you know. Um, respect yourself, regardless of what other people tell you. You have to have boundaries. It's to never happen again. Based on what you're saying, it's not just about girls, right? It's also about families teaching their boys, their sons, and raising them to ask for consent, raising them to keep their hands off little girls. 
Right. Like we eat whatever way it goes about. I'm just saying we have to think about how we are doing it at such a young age that the little things that we really think are not a big deal can become a big deal because we never get exposed to boundaries. So ultimately the message is somebody who loves you isn't going to hurt you. Somebody who loves you is not going to beat you up. Right. Of course. Yeah. When it comes to physical or verbal abuse, those are 100% things that are not a part of love. That's not a part of it. I want young girls to know that these are not things of love. There are things that men who love you, they are just not going to do. They're not going to curse you out. They're not going to put their hands on you. They're not going to ignore you for days, only call you for sex. They're not going to not introduce you. And I think there are good men out there. And, and you can get good men to tell you what good men should be doing. And it's definitely not physical abuse. I think what's important to note also as part of all of this is that the healing for you isn't going to be, you know, you're over the hump in a day or I, you know, I'm healed and I'm moving on. I think it's important for people to know that this might be a lifelong journey of dealing with the traumas and dealing with the things that have occurred to be okay. You know, in order to be okay, it's going to take a continuous amount of support and amount of healing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an everyday. I mean, I feel like there is a point where you can come out of it for sure. Sometimes there are things that you're not aware of or you think have healed and then someone comes into your life and they're able to ignite that or trigger that. And um, and I want to make sure that people understand that that's where my biggest mistake is. If someone um, is has a trigger for you, I don't want you to feel like, oh, I'm making a big deal. A trigger is a trigger. And for me personally, I can honestly say that the relationships that I have had that have not worked out since leaving my daughter's father had a trigger. Um, I went a very long time single and just healed. And I was, I was, I was doing really, really, really well. And then I met someone and it was a trigger. And once again, it was an early on. So that's something else I would kind of like to throw in there that you feel like someone is triggering something that you feel from. Healing doesn't mean that it's not there anymore. It just means that you're not allowing it to affect your everyday life, but other people can trigger you. And it that's an issue. So that's something that I'm working on that just regular everyday human beings may have a trigger for me and just realizing that you can't be in my life. And that's a part of healing. Um, a relapse is a relapse. Any one of us could end up back in something abusive if we are not we're not going to take accountability for what we can and cannot have around us or who it's not healthy for me. But always be aware that you are in recovery and a, and a victim is in recovery. Lene, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. And I think it's so brave of you to come on and just be so completely transparent and open and sharing all of the things that really happened to you. Because my hope is somebody out there who was or who is in a similar situation can can learn from you know your story and hopefully family members can learn from your story and know what to do and know like what next steps to take so i thank you so much for coming on the happy room and sharing your story with us well thank you for having me i appreciate it and i hope at least one person uh, gets something from this that's i mean that's all we could do 
Do you have a story idea that you'd love to hear on The Happy Room? Or you'd love to be a guest on the podcast? I would love to have you. Send me a DM if you're interested at The Real Happy Room on Instagram. Or you can contact me on Twitter at The Happy Room Pod.